welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veroni, your editor in exile. Kevin, one more round Hume has the day off as he is celebrating one more trip around the sun. Speaking of another round and getting older, all of us of a certain age know about that. Uh, mysterious aches have given way to troublesome tingles, and of course, the hangovers, to quote the son of Hank Williams and Fox and Friends contributor, Hank Williams Jr., the hangovers hurt more than they used to. So gone are the days where we could do shots, fall asleep on the floor with little more than a pillow and a thin blanket and bounce back to life the next day feeling spry. Um, but that doesn't mean we're ready to give up on the party quite yet. Which brings us to this week's cover story, written by SF Weekly's former fearless leader, two editors before me, uh, your very fearful chaperone, I'm not sure I'm a leader, uh, Peter Astrid Kane, who is joining us now to tell us all about California sober, the idea of being California sober. How are you doing today, Pete? I'm good, Nick. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Um you know, when Kevin is out, I usually do the intro just by myself, then give room for a quick musical break before reconvening with the first guest. But this time I thought, well, what the hell? You used to be the editor. Let's make Pete the co-host. So you are you are our first guest co-host since we started the podcast. Uh, yeah, all right. Which basically means I think that, the, that we will not be having a quick musical break and um, that you'll be expected to laugh a little bit more convincingly <laughs> at my, my bad jokes. So <laughs> I hope you're up to the task. Are you up to the task? Oh, yeah. Great, great. So California Sober, tell us what it means. Lay the groundwork for this story for us. Yeah, so basically it's the idea that there is a sort of alternate version of the concept of sobriety that is not rooted exclusively in total abstinence. And I think the reason it's called California sober is a little bit tongue in cheek, partially because California has this reputation, especially Northern California, that we're all just walking around like baked off our asses. All the time. <laughs> right, right. But I think there is more of a legitimate therapeutic connotation to it, which is that California for half a century or more, has been the site and the wellspring of all of these wellness movements, some of which are crackpot ideas that are demonstrably just to part, you know, anxious upper middle class people from their hard-earned disposable wealth, and others are rooted in reality and have a legitimate therapeutic basis. Yeah, that's a good point. Po the, the sort of popular science movement, um, popular psychology movement really kind of uh, took root um, after the hippies, right? And we got things like the Esalen Institute and um, uh, what do you like, you know, in Menlo Park, they were studying LSD uh, to see if that could like, you know, cure people of many ailments, alcoholism, one of them. Um, also, I think they were thinking it might be a mind control drug. So, <laughs> so there is there is that history there. So as I understand it, um, hard drugs like, you know, heroin might not be on the menu, although the definition of California sober is kind of amorphous and LSD, other sort of psychedelics, ketamine, pot, um, like, do you just take that laundry list that Hunter S. Thompson rattles off near the beginning <laughs> of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, you know, a whole galaxy of multicolored uppers, downers, screamers, laughers, like all that, but just minus the quarter tequila, quarter rum in case of Budweiser? Is that is that what, what makes California sober? I mean, in a way, 
Yes, but I would say it's a little less Hunter S. Thompson and a little more Michael Pollan. Um, Obviously, you know, cannabis would be the, the, the workhorse here, but I do think that certain people can make allowances for psychedelics. And I think of kind of psilocybin, i.e. mushrooms, being the, I think in the story, I call it like the crucial supporting cast member to the idea of California sobriety. And that's not merely because there is a movement to decriminalize the possession and use of psilocybin. I think Oakland and Oregon are already there. Um, But also because, you know, there really is not much of a documented harm and many people get a lot out of these things. They're not merely, you know, quote unquote, recreational drugs. They really do have uh, a dramatic impact for people who use them responsibly. So if California sobriety is conceived of not merely as like, wink, wink, let's have a little fun while recognizing that we need to cut down our drinking, it really is about like, hey, how do we come out of this, you know, if you're if if like me you're taking uh, an extended break from drinking in the beginning of the new year um how do you come out on the other side with a little a little more stability or self-understanding or uh, a better approach to the way you you know get drunk or high yeah so you've done um a little bit of a self-imposed break from booze in the past and when i reached out to you for this story you were planning on going on one anyway so where are you at with that? And tell us about your month. Uh, I understand it's a little bit more than a month that you like to do. Yeah, it's funny. Today is the 40th of the 40 days. So tomorrow, uh, Valentine's Day weekend, I am going to have a good time, I guess. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, when we had spoken about this story, you and I in December, and you broached the idea of me writing it, and I leapt at the chance, um, yeah, it kind of worked out well because I had already been planning to take one of my, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say regular or even annual breaks. Um, I did this two years ago, exactly two years ago. I went for 40 days and I only had one glass of celebratory champagne at a toast and called it good. And then during this break, I've been even more you know, abstemious. I haven't had even, I, we have these chocolates sitting on top of the refrigerator that have like cordials in them yeah. for Christmas. And I'm like, no, mustn't touch. Um, but the only thing as I included in the story is I had two thirds each of three cans of wonder, which is a low dose um, carbonated cannabis beverage. Um, uh-huh. And that was really fun, but that's, Really all I did. And, you know, I, I have done in, in like the distant past 10 or 12 years ago, every year I used to do the lemonade cleanse, the master cleanse, even though I knew at the time, like the scientific basis for it is dubious, if not. That's, that's where there's, there's cayenne pepper involved. Yeah. So it's, um, <laughs> yes, it's, you make a hot lemonade with cayenne pepper and it is actually surprisingly delicious. And, I was doing it mostly as a sort of test of my willpower. Like, can I actually do this? You do lose weight. You gain it all right back. Um, but it was more like, I, you know, I, I can't do moderation. I can only do excess or abstinence. So if I was feeling excessive, I wanted to force myself into a sustained period of abstinence. And, you know, I managed to do it every year. People are like, oh, I can't do that. I would give up. And I, I was like, well, screw you. I'm not giving up now just because you said that. So, you know, 
it it always it always worked and you know you I did get a lot out of it actually like your sense of smell tends to improve dramatically I was you know getting by with like less sleep and just feeling almost almost manically positive at times <laughs> like a little bit a little bit high in the way that like you know starvation is supposed to be <laughs> yeah. a little bit high yeah. <laughs> um i don't know i i don't i think I, I think those days are behind me but um yeah i don't know just taking this break this year um i mean i'm turning 40 in march so i was kind of like ah oh, jesus um but also i you know ever since i was full-time at the weekly and i was reviewing restaurants and probably gaining about 10 pounds a year for a good four years and i hit 218 and i was like damn it i'm like i'm fat i'm straight up fat so i i just i i wanted to see like okay like i can take this into my own hands and i've already been doing a lot of cycling through this pandemic and so to kind of turn this very long story into a more coherent narrative thread for you um I figured like, well, I'm going to just bike really obsessively, try to get to 16, 15 or 16,000 steps every day if I can. And I've been doing that and, you know, not drink and wow. not say yes to anything else. So while to be perfectly candid with you, while I wrote a story about California sobriety, I pretty much maintained sobriety, sobriety, you know, like I, I really was doing a lot of mushrooms last year and I, I i love it like i i had multiple wonderful experiences but when a couple of people approached me especially in that warm spot we had in late january they're like hey like i got some mushrooms you want some and i was like no you know i'm not i'm sober like i thought you were california sober i specifically <laughs> with you in mind so i was like no 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 not doing it but thank you uh, so, I mean, there really isn't anything quite like booze, at least for some people, um, at, for, for, for the, for the, for the application of like silencing that inner critic and kind of boosting self-esteem and, and boosting your sort of outgoingness. Um, and that's what I think leads it to be such a so social lubricant. And maybe that's what leads it to be kind of dangerous for some people because people start to feel like they need it. And then, you know, and then, you know, in severe alcoholics, you end up actually needing it. Um, and conversely, at least for me, and you say that this is true of you in the story, um, pot can make some people quite antisocial and prone to second guessing everything they say. So um, maybe pot also gets us to reflect but maybe pot also gets us to reflect on ourselves in a way that that's healthy. And you were saying that this isn't like a wink, wink, we're quote unquote sober. So like what I'm getting at is in that, that time that you did take um, the, the, the cannabis drink, like what was the effect on you? And, and could you talk about like maybe this idea of being California sober is not so much of like, Oh, but you can have other drugs as a substitute for booze, but maybe like, these other drugs play a critical component in, in self-improvement and like thinking about who you want to be as a person and growing. Yeah. I mean, not to challenge the premise of your question, but I really have in my life, I have, I have been a very sporadic, infrequent light cannabis consumer. Um, I mean, you know, I feel like everyone has an edible horror story and I'm, I certainly do, but it, you know, I, I really like I'll have a half of a five milligram edible once in a few every few months, like my boyfriend has them and I'll just be like, ah fuck it, I want one. Uh -huh. And it's like 
two and a half milligrams and i'm like i'm high like i don't know anything <laughs> higher than this because yeah like i i really just i appreciate the like cannabis's you know relaxation properties i totally get that but it it really has never in terms of like self-reflection it's not it's not, not useful for me to go back to mushrooms like i i have had mushroom trips where you just giggle and the light is indescribably beautiful and you just look around you're like damn like i love my friends i live in california like the 21st oh. century is great and those are wonderful but i've also had mushroom experiences where it's like kind of a no-nonsense old friend is like hey listen up like this is how it is and you just kind of listen and accept it and i i have found that to be like kind of profound like i i really am not a spiritual person in any way i i believe in almost nothing but you know like that that has that has affected me in a in a positive way but the one time i did consume uh cannabis during this 40-day period you know i was hiking mount diablo's waterfall trail with a couple of friends and unfortunately there were no waterfalls there was one one oh. trip <laughs> but mount diablo is, is always worth going to I, I we had a wonderful time um no pun intended because one <laughs> is the thing that we were drinking um, <laughs> but uh you know it was it was the, you, when the, when you're in the sun, it was nice and warm. And when you're in the shade, the air was very cool. And I just became very conscious of like the warmth and the coolness kind of alternating and just that sort of light yet in, indisputably primal quality of, of nature. I mean, we saw very few other people and, you know, as much as I love like music festivals and large crowds and things like that, like I, I hate, running into homo sapiens in nature like in yeah. national parks i don't want to hear their chatter i don't want to see you like i want to i just want to enjoy this to myself <laughs> or with whoever i'm with and you know I, I i had it we had exactly that and we hiked for nine hours i'm sorry nine miles over four hours which is pretty substantial and you know it was it was definitely the longest single sustained hike i've had all year and it was it was just you know, the experience was certainly improved and slightly intensified because I had a little cannabis. Yeah. And like, I mean, I'm, I'm the same way as you. I mean, sometimes I say this for effect, but like, I think it's, it's, it's almost true. Like I'd almost rather take a hit of acid than, than get like too, too high on cannabis. There's, there's different elements. I mean, they're both, they both have these psychedelic qualities, but something about weed just kind of like, it gets on top of me in another way. But I, I wondered, so, so what you're saying is, you know, you, you, your, your opinion on, on pot hasn't really changed. You still don't think it's quite for you, but I wonder like taking like these cannabis drinks, which you describe are supposed to be lower dose and supposed to be like tailored to not being so much of a head high. Like did, did you see what the marketers are talking about there? Is this like something that you could get into a little bit more frequently than once every few months? I could, I really could. So for the story, I had the opportunity to speak with Phil McGar, who's one of the founders of Wonder. And the way he was framing it, um, and he's, he's, a, he's a great, he's a very easy person to talk to. He's very gregarious. He was framing it. He's like, it's basically like a performance enhancing drug. He's like, I take it before 
hikes or cycling, or I think it, he said before, like meditation. He's like, I know that many people would consider that to be like a completely sacrilegious approach to mindfulness, but you know, it is what it is and it works for me. And I'm like, having, having had it only once, like, yes, that, that totally registers with me. Like, um, I don't know that if I'm getting up at 6am to go for a long ride, I want to like pound uh, like <laughs> yeah. a soda first thing in the morning, although they are, they are tasty in like an adult way, more like a um, a um, San Pellegrino orangiata than you know. Yeah. Paper. yeah. Um, so, but like I, it, yeah, it's performance enhancing might be a little, maybe pushing it, but because again, I was just walking around a mountain, not like trying to bike down the great highway at twenty five miles an hour. But um, yeah, like I, I'm I'm open to it. Yeah, I mean, and that's what like I've I've done stories uh, over the course of my journalistic career about that exact thing. You know, a lot of athletes are like cannabis users, and they they swear by it. And I gotta say, like, um, if I'm just sitting with my own thoughts, it can really get on top of me. But like, what I, what I end up always doing is I end up go I end up doing something, and it's more like to get out this nervous energy. But if you have that planned in advance, a hike, gardening, uh, playing music. Um, I think that it could be, you know, I think it could be a performance enhancing drug. I mean, like, especially with like music, like music, writing uh-huh. songs, you have to like focus, right? Well, you have to, you have to like play the same thing over and over and over again until you get it right. And like pot can put you in that zone where that doesn't get boring. It's in fact, incredibly fascinating, might not be fascinating uh-huh. for your neighbor, like hearing you work on this riff for hours, but to you, you're uh-huh. like, yeah. And then and then you get it, and then you know a month later you play it for the first time in a month, and your neighbor says, "Oh, oh, maybe he did need to play that riff like twenty million times. It sounds pretty good now." <laughs> um, yeah. But... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Please. I I have thoughts, Nick. Um, number one, like when you're high in a pleasant way, high, high when you're stoned in a good way, feeling good, like music is just incomparably better and more like all enveloping i mean let's just be clear that that's probably an objective condition of being stoned um but i i guess i'm curious i want to ask you a question is because yeah. you just kind of said you know you like to make music when you're high i i am not really i don't i don't write music or really perform but you know i write we both write i yeah. cannot cannot get any writing done when i am in anything but a sober state even uh-huh. things like alcohol or cocaine which you know totally amp you up and give you that kind of confidence within five minutes i will stop and become acutely self-aware that what i'm doing is probably ridiculous and it's not going to turn out the way i want and like i just can't slash won't and when i'm stoned like i remember being like 16 or 20 and i was like i'm gonna get high and i'm gonna write poetry all night like it's literally the worst poetry it's like it's just it's either inscrutable or it's, i don't know it's just it just right. sounds like exactly what you were doing when you wrote it <laughs> like, so the, question is, the question is can i the answer yeah. is the more professional i become the, uh, you know, and I'm 10 plus years into this thing of being a journalist or whatever, a member of the fourth estate or <laughs> any of the people, you know, depending on who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, there are every once in a while, especially like drinking, like drinking is kind of like more of an end of the day thing. I mean, sometimes I take care of like some emails here or there 
I'm having a, some beers after work, but um, I, I don't do it because I just don't, I don't want to. Like, that's what I do at the end of the day. Yes. As far as like getting inspired, I, I don't, I don't look to substances really to do that anymore. There are times when, you know, and I take cannabis just very seldomly, but there are times when I'm like, I need to get this nervous energy out and I have an idea and I sit down and I write it out and then I go back and look at it the next day and, you know, hopefully some of it is usable. Um, there, there's a scene, oh, I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but there's this show that I really liked, only aired for one season. It was called Manhattan. It was about the Manhattan Project. And it has some characters that are some actors that have gone on to do um, big things in other shows. And I can't recall any of their names, but uh, there's a scene, you know, very, very much imaginative fiction, this show where like two of the nerdy guys like get some peyote from, or maybe because it's in Arizona, it might've been mushrooms, mm -hmm. whatever it was like, they solved, they like solved a cold fusion that night, but then like come in in the morning and, and the chalkboard is just like, what the fuck just happened? So, you know, obviously it didn't solve it. Mm -hmm. um, every once in a while something comes up. Writing is hard though. I think making a, like a riff, that's something you kind of feel in your bones and um, writing, you know, you're not going to, you're never going to get it right the, on the first pass. You're going to have to like sculpt that thing. Yeah. T two points. One earlier in that sentence, that, that statement you referred Grant. to, you, uh, you said go down the rabbit hole and I had to laugh because the metaphor is from Alice in Wonderland. So yeah, you were literally, we are literally going down this rabbit hole right now. Um, but more importantly, I like when I feel like I'm writing really well, it's cause I'm not stopping to think, right? Uh -huh. Like it becomes instinctive like your command of language should be honed enough by that point that you're able to transmute thought to paper or monitor like quickly and without not necessarily quickly but but in a, in a flow state right like yeah. you're in the zone and you know <laughs> cannabis doesn't put me in the zone but even like you know drinking when you're at a party and you're like feeling flirty and cute and like you're having a great time like that doesn't translate into into writing for me like it, it's funny like you would just think like oh well I, I think of myself as a fairly good writer so why wouldn't I be <laughs> good yeah. I, I, I think i see the point that i see the point that you're driving at like if you're really on a roll at a party too and you're you're like you're 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 telling a great you're spinning a great yarn um why can't you just sit down and make that happen and, and i think you know some people arguably can maybe it's just you and i are kind of in the same boat this time around i mean like mm -hmm. you know you think of there's this there's this whole um era of writers that are you know they're all they're all all the greats were drunks right i mean i think they were great writers and they were also drunks <laughs> like i don't think it was <laughs> yeah like you not, know it's not causative, causative correlative. yeah yeah um but i think for some people i'm sure cannabis can be in pot or whatever you want to call it cannabis is like the <laughs> the industry term that's making it more adult now um mm. uh, but it's got to help some people, um, but I don't. I don't think it really helps. Also, me. a lot of those writers were dicks. Like they were <laughs> assholes. Like Hemingway yeah. wasn't at. Like even Wallace Stevens, like mild-mannered Hartford insurance salesman, conservative Republican poet, like punched 
Hemingway in the face in Key West one time. Like, yeah, dude was an asshole. Yeah, I think I, I saw an interview later in his life with Orson Welles on one of those talk shows from like the 70s and, and Orson was probably drunk. Uh, I think they were always just drunk on those shows back then, maybe still today. Like on that wine but, commercial he did shortly before. <laughs> yes. But like he, he talks about him and uh, Hemingway. I think Hem- Hemingway um, got in fistfights with, with a lot of people um men i mean you know read into that what you will uh people have in the past about who hemingway truly was maybe that was the way he expressed other feelings or maybe you know maybe he's just a dick i mean i don't want to yeah can't read too much into that could be column a column b could could be could be another thing you get into in this piece which i really think is important is that sure the term california sober has been taken up by pop marketers i mean it's not at the level of CBD yet. I mean, God, I get so many <laughs> CBD emails. I mean, I'm sure you know as a, as the former editor, like how I so many CBD. But so California sober, I'm not seeing it thrown out as much as that. But then, but what you touch upon in this piece is it's it's giving a name to something, and that has power. That it's giving a name to something that a lot of people have understood for quite a while really works for them. And having a name for it is important. I think you call it a, a retro retronym. Um, yeah. a, a lot of people have decided that, look, booze is the problem for me. Booze is really bad. I can't, I can't do it. I lose control. Smoking pot, not a problem for me. Taking mushrooms, LSD, mescaline occasionally, you know, and being intentional about it, not a problem for me. Um, and the thing is, Alcoholics Anonymous, um, you know, this 12-step program that, you know, has probably helped people. It is also this very, you know, absolutist, prohibitionist, um, you know, you must abstain from everything. And you talk to some people who were, um, one one of your sources didn't want to give um, her name, I believe, because, you know, she is an AA and she gets a lot out of AA. But um, at the same time, she's also come to realize that, like, cannabis is like a part of her mental wellness. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that that person who I refer to in the story as H um, is a professional, you know, late middle aged, lives in Marin, married, has a child. She's a trans woman. Um, she's a very she has her stuff together. Like she's a, you know, I, as I've gotten to know her better and she's revealed more about her past, she tells me these stories about her addiction i mean she was addicted to crack which it, it just like I, I it's like i i'm talking to this woman and i'm like i can't believe that i mean i believe it because you say so but like okay wow you've really yeah. turned your life around then and you know she grows cannabis her friends grow I mean, she lives in marin her friends grow mushrooms they have these they share these experiences together and she's really really hesitant to disclose this to people that she knows through you know the sober community through aa people who you might otherwise think like oh this is an adult it's 2021 we're in california we can all just talk about that we smoke pot now and then and she's you know very hesitant because people tend to make these connections and think oh well if she's smoking pot then who knows what else she's doing on the side like her commitment to sobriety is clearly bullshit but you know and i appreciate that she feels this bind. I mean, I, if I were in that position, I'm sure I would feel very similarly, but that is kind of heartbreaking in a way because we do understand that cannabis is a medicine. It's not merely like a recreational substance that we do to like, you know, 
mess around. Like it has legitimate medical properties. And especially for people who, you know, have had their, their problems with substances in the past, it seems like certain things can actually be especially beneficial for them. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad you included that in the piece because I think um, as a society, you know, it's, I mean, it's the nineties, man. Our, <laughs> our, our ideas are changing. We're, we're evolving as a society. And I think um, that the abstinence only, um, it's been pretty clear, you know, for a while in a, in a lot of circles that, you know, abstinence only sex education isn't working. But I think the drug stuff has kind of lagged behind a little bit. And um, hopefully we can find a better way. I mean, the goal is not I'm not trying to say, you know, oh, we should be able to get, well, we should, we're adults. We should be able to get high if we want to. And, you know, as long as we're not, my, my freedom ends where your nose begins type of a thing. But um, I think coming up with better ways to be healthy is, is the ultimate goal here. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I appreciate that you let me drone on in the story for several thousand words, but there are so many elements to this that I just couldn't, you know, they're just beyond the scope of even a long form piece like this. I mean, I, I don't think I even mentioned the criminal justice system at all. And that is probably one of the most salient things when we talk about reforms in cannabis policy and, and changing, you know, social attitudes around it. I mean, again, being the recipient of all of these like kind of smug CBD press releases, like you just think of how many people are still in prison or have had run-ins with the law that have made it impossible for them to get employment or vote or just simply be full participants in our society because they were busted for smoking pot or selling small amounts of it in their youth. And, you know, like, again, I don't even mean to turn this discussion and down this tangent necessarily, but like it, in terms of talking about these things from like a therapeutic or a wellness area, like, you know, <laughs> we, we can't overlook the grotesquely racist nature of the criminal justice system as it pertains to recreational drug use and yeah. the effects that that has. Yeah. Well, um, it's a very interesting story. It's doing well, by the way, on Chartbeat. And you, you remember Chartbeat from your days at the Weekly? Google. I, well, we used Google Analytics at the time. Oh, okay. Well, we got this chart. Chartbeat's very, um, it's got this user interface that I think is meant to keep you really glued to it. I mean, I was glued to it. <laughs> first started for way too long. I was checking Chartbeat every day, like multiple times an hour. But your story's been doing well today. Oh, um, we, haven't even plugged, haven't even, we haven't even plugged it on our social media yet. I mean, maybe you did. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I put it on Facebook. Um, it got a positive response. I think one person was like, your definition of harm reduction is simply the definition of therapy. And I was like, ooh, that's a little bit gnomic as far as criticism go, but I, I hear you. Um, you know, I, I don't really have an extensive relationship with the sort of, with, I have never really been in therapy. Uh, I've, I have, I've never taken prescription pharmaceuticals of any kind so to hear um people speak about these things it's it's completely outside of my experience so i was kind of kind of going along with what the um wise counselor who i spoke to said and you know his his words resonated with me nonetheless 
Well, it's a great story, um, and you can read it on our website. It's called California Sober. It's the cover story this week. And um, I want to thank Pete again so much for joining us today. Thanks, Pete. Nick, what a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced by me, Nick Moroni. Mike Huguenor is our audio engineer. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.